Well, guys, we are going to uh, take a little pause here. We have been marinating and meditating in and upon the book of Isaiah for some time, and it was just in my heart, for whatever reason, to go ahead and let that rest. Nothing against looking forward to getting back to it, but I want to take some time to uh, take in the words of the last apostle who ever lived. And so with that, if you've got your Bible, would you take and turn in them to the book of 1 John? We're going to look at four verses today. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in a message that I've entitled, uh, The Word of Life. And so with that, let's, uh, let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father, once again, we just say thank you for your goodness, for your graciousness, and for your mercy. Uh, Father, it truly is our desire to honor you, to want to have ears to hear you, to be challenged and changed by you. Jesus, we want to be made more like you. And so to that end, we pray, Lord, that you just move and minister according to the power of your spirit, that you'd have your way, that you'd be glorified in this place, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody say, amen. amen. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of this cord. You guys probably get tired of watching me clean and do different things while I'm up here, but I'm going to go ahead and get rid of that so I don't step on it. All right, we ready? All right, you guys. Listen, a lot of people have a lot of ideas about who Jesus is. Um, a lot of people have a lot of ideas about who God the Father is. You know, he's the guy with the giant fly swatter in the sky. You know, he's waiting, he's ready, he's uh, wanting to smack us down when we start having fun, start getting out of line. Or maybe he's the gentle giant, the man upstairs, the long white beard, and he's there to give us warm fuzzies and make us feel good, you know. Or maybe he's just the one who's angry at me all the time, and he's determined to send me to hell, and there's nothing that's ever going to change that. A lot of people have a lot of ideas about who we are as Christians, and that as Christians, we no longer sin, or no matter what, because of the past painful things that have happened in my life, I'm forever marred, I'm never going to be able to get certain things right. Well, listen, 1 John is all about setting the record straight. Uh, John's heart is to uh, teach us the truth of who God the Father is, uh, the truth of who Jesus is, and his relationship with the Father, His role in our lives, the truth of who we are and what our relationship is as Christians to the world and with one another. Translation, man, this book's going to be good. And so uh, with that, let's take and turn our attention to the very first. Matter of fact, why don't we just read through verses 1 through 4. All right, here we go. You're with me? Let's look. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, according, or pardon me, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Well, the first thing that John draws our attention to is the fact uh, that what he's going to teach us about and set the record straight concerning is, well, the phrase is, that which was from the beginning. Guys, three times and in three different places, the Bible speaks of the beginning. And of course, the one most are 
readily familiar with is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, where it brings into focus for us the beginning of creation, the beginning of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word created there in the Hebrew is the word bara, uh, and it always and only has God as its subject. And it means to create something out of nothing. I mean, there was nothing pertaining to a material universe. God spoke, and there was something. Now, the other Hebrew word that shares man as the subject, it's the word asa, and it means creation or the creation that is the assembling of something out of things that already exist. In other words, when you build a house, you also, you've got materials there, you're creating something out of things that already exist. Now, guys, you don't have to do much deductive reasoning to come to the conclusion that if time as we know it began when God created the heavens and the earth and God was the one who spoke time and matter into existence, that means that God lives or dwells, uh, exists outside of time, which points us to the eternal nature of God. Enter the second time or place that the Bible speaks of the beginning, and it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, here we have a couple of things. Number one, a progressive revelation as to the person and nature of God. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the word Elohim. In the beginning, God, Elohim. Now, I've spoken to you before of the fact that when you add the I am on the end of a Hebrew word, it takes us from the singular to the plural. So that we have a cherub, which is singular, or we have cherubim, which is two or more. Uh, and so, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we are introduced to the idea of the plural nature of the one God. Now, the Gospel of John kind of parses it out a little bit differently and gives us just a little bit more clarity. But what he's doing is he's taking us back before the beginning of time, before creation, so as to give us a greater depth of revelation regarding the eternal nature of God. However, he also introduces to you and me the second person of the one and only God. He says, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now notice, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, by the time there was a beginning, the Word was already there. Does that make sense? Was takes us into the past tense. Uh, or another way to understand it, guys, drift back in your mind. As far as you can possibly comprehend, there you are, you're drifting back billions of years and billions of years and trillions and trillions of years, and you go back until finally, eventually it just goes, and it's like there's a vanishing point where I cannot comprehend time beyond this point. And once you go back so far that you genuinely cannot comprehend beyond that time or time beyond that time, Christ that is, God the Son comes to you from before that point to meet you. He was already there. Okay? Now, John carries on. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. He, that is, the Word, predates anything that was made. In fact, we read that he himself made all things. And therefore, he himself 
can't be made. He is the creator. He himself is the uncreated one. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is eternal in nature. All things were made through him, and without him, no thing, nothing was made that was made. And this is the one whom John is drawing our attention to here as it pertains to the third mention of the beginning, that which was from the beginning. This one who comes out of eternity past, who has always existed, entered into time and space, the one of whom the prophet Micah foretold, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And again, ladies and gentlemen, It doesn't take too much deductive reasoning to conclude that if this one whom John wrote of was eternal in nature and only God is eternal in nature, then this one who was manifested, whom they have seen, whom they have heard, whom they have touched, is God. John simply assumes this in the text. Now, The Gospel of John was written, basically, to prove the deity of Jesus. And John tells us this in his Gospel. These things I have written to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. Uh, His humanity uh, in the Gospel of John is basically assumed. The first epistle of John was written, again, Basically, to prove the humanity of Jesus, his deity being assumed. John wants his reader to know that the eternal God, who was from the beginning, entered into time and space, never sacrificing his deity, yet as completely human as you and me, God himself entered our world. He took upon himself real, actual authentic humanity okay he says we have heard him now guys what he's going to drive us to is the fact that he is not delivering a message of hearsay or tradition Uh, what he says is not conjecture or theory it's not some carefully crafted philosophy or some kind of once upon a time type story John wants us to realize that he experienced this eternal God in the fullness of humanity personally. He was not a phantom or a spirit being. He wasn't some emanation from God. He was the incarnation of God. You get that? He wants us to know that God made himself accessible to man and that he can perfectly identify with man because he himself became a man and revealed himself to us in this way. And of course, this is what the author of Hebrews gives to us when he says we have a high priest who can empathize or sympathize, identify with us, being tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus is accessible. God is accessible to you. He can identify with you because he himself became a man. And he says, we have heard him. Now again, what's he saying there? He's saying, I'm not guessing, guys, about what this eternal one taught or what he meant. I was there. 
I listen to God in the flesh speaking to me and those around me. And it's in a perfect tense, meaning regularly, repeatedly, at length, in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the way that John constructs his grammar here is like the repeating of a scientific experiment. You know, you've got the beaker, you've got the chemicals, there you are in the lab, and you're just repeating the experiment, the same thing, over and over and over, again and again and again. And when the results are in, they're conclusive and irrefutable. And so John is saying, we heard him again and again and again. The results are in. They are conclusive. They are irrefutable. And he says, that which we have seen with our eyes. Family, I want you to notice the sensory affirmations that John is giving to us. He says, we heard. This is the ear gate, right? He says, we've seen. This is the eye gate. And here, John adds another layer of depth and confirmation concerning what he's developing for us. It's not only that we have seen with our eyes, which means exactly what it sounds like. You know, I'm looking at you, I'm seeing you with my eyes. That's what John says, whom we have seen. But then he says, whom we have, you might underline it, looked upon. Now, this is a different word. This is the Greek word theomai, from which we get our word theater. It means to gaze intently, to study attentively, and to contemplate carefully. In other words, when you go to the theater, whether it's a movie theater, whether it's the Broadway theater, whether it's the Joplin Little Theater, (laughs) right? When you go to the theater... You don't just take a passing glance. You rest your eyes on something. You are trying to pay attention. You're trying to take in and understand what's going on. What's happening here? And so John is saying, I want you to know that we studied this eternal one intensely, intently, very carefully. You remember when Jesus was teaching and he said, he was speaking of John the Baptist. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? You see that word there? To see. That's the same word that John uses here. He says, listen, when you went out to the wilderness, you didn't go out to John to just kind of get a glance at this anomaly. You went out there to listen to view him attentively, very carefully, you were trying to put together the pieces of this mystery of who he was and what it was that he was proclaiming exactly. Okay? John says, man, pertaining to this one, this, that which was from the beginning, he says, we really paid attention to this to this one. We examined him thoroughly. We wanted to know who he was exactly, you see. And I want you to notice, not only did John hear the Lord audibly and look upon him, that is, study him carefully, he says, we handled him physically. Now, he's establishing complete 
authority, absolute certainty with regard to what he's writing to you and me. When John says, we handled him. Guys, I don't want you to think of, you know, John, there he was, the Last Supper, leaning back upon the bosom of the Lord, his head just resting on his chest, as awesome and incredible as that must have been. I want you to think of his encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. You see, to touch this man named Jesus prior to his death, I mean, I, I could touch you, or I could touch you, and you know, put my hand on your shoulder or shake your hand, you know, whatever the case may be. And that wouldn't necessarily ratify anything for his readers. But to handle him post-resurrection would mean everything. There he and the disciples were. It was the third day after Jesus had been placed in the tomb and the rumors and the whispers of resurrection were around, but they hadn't seen him, not, not personally, not physically. I mean, oh, the empty tomb was there. The ladies were ecstatic. We know that, but they just seemed crazy to the disciples. And then there they are in the room and out of nowhere, these other two disciples burst into the room and they're huffing and they're puffing. They'd run back to Jerusalem all the way from Emmaus, like a six mile sprint. And they're going, and on and on about how Jesus was alive and he had appeared to Simon and he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread and then suddenly Jesus is right there in the midst of them, the collective, they're tuned into these two. Jesus kind of standing in the crowd. He says, peace to you. And they're all, yay! You know, they, they, start, they start freaking out like what in the what is happening here? And Jesus is like, guys, 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 slow your roll. I need you to throttle back just a bit. He says, why are you so out of control here? Why are you freaking out? And he says, behold, my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Notice, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so John says, we did that. We handled him. There he was, risen from the dead. It wasn't a spirit. You know, we weren't hallucinating. We touched him. We handled him. We placed our hands in his wounds. He was alive, you see. And again, this word handled means to handle with a view to investigation. He was, he was seeking to come to this realization, this conclusion. He was flesh and bone, the word of life, you see. John begins to work toward revealing who this one who was from the beginning was and is. He says he's the word. You see it there? In verse 2, concerning the word of life, the logos, that by which God has chosen to reveal himself fully, completely to man through the word. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and God was the logos, you see. And the gospel of John continues, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He is the, this, the word of life, the logos. He's the wellspring of light and life. And the life was, well, the word is manifested, meaning to make visible or known that which was previously hidden or unknown, to make plain or evident that which already exists. In other words, guys, 
I want you to know something. My iPhone exists. It's really here. It's right in front of me. You just can't see it. Now, guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for you. I'm going to make it manifest. There it is. Now, oh, and look, there's my beautiful wife right there. Well, guys, I honor my wife, man. Here she is. Um, it was always here. You just hadn't seen it yet. But when it became manifest, then it was something that you could see. It became tangible. And this, of course, takes us to the 14th verse of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And the word became or was made manifest flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld theomai, theomai. We looked upon, we studied carefully, we viewed attentively his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this life, which God is, previously invisible, though always existing, was made visible to man in the person of Jesus Christ. God revealed all that he embodies through the person of his Son. You remember Jesus told Philip, Philip, the one who has seen me, has seen the Father. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Chapter 2 expands just a little bit and tells us that in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. One commentary put it this way, we put light, which is invisible, through a prism, break it up into its component parts, and it becomes visible. The beauty of the life that God is broken up into its various parts such as love, grace, humility, kindness, etc. is seen through the prism of the human life of our Lord. I like that. But this life, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life was brought out into the open. This life was brought out into the open where men could see it it was plainly, physically, tangibly, touchably revealed. And John says, We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Guys, notice Jesus doesn't only give eternal life. The one who has Christ has eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. The one who does not have Christ does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So Jesus doesn't only give life, he is life. Do you see that? And again, we note the distinct separation in the oneness of God. That eternal life which was with the Father. You might write it down so you can look it up later. It's John chapter 6, the gospel of John chapter 6, verses 46 through 48. Of course, these words also remind us of the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 when Jesus said, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John is highlighting 
for you and me, the eternal relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. And forgive me, but at the risk of redundancy, you cannot be eternal in nature unless you're God. Mankind has a definite beginning. God alone has no beginning. He exists outside the boundaries of time. And so in no uncertain terms, John is plainly stating God was made manifest to us. He became visible, tangible, touchable in the person of Jesus. Now that's, I know we've talked about a little bit, and and that's a little bit of a spoiler alert because John has specifically, seemingly intentionally uh, left off telling us who this word of life is who has been made manifest. Up to this point, it's been kind of the teaser trailer, you know, that which was from the beginning and, you know, the light concerning the word of life. And he's giving him all these titles, but he's not naming him yet. He's, He's bringing us in. He's drawing us in, you see. He's leading up to the big reveal. Now look at verse 3. It says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the role, this is the responsibility of every believer. That which we have seen and heard, we declare. Okay? Listen to me. Once you have experienced eternal life and you've heard the gospel, you've been changed by the gospel, the word of life has given you life, you want to declare, you want to share with other people. You want to make known that which has been made known to you. That forgiveness of sin everlasting life, a relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth is available to you. Jesus is real. He's alive. He's defeated death. He loves you. He wants to know you and he wants for you to know him. Now, guys, time for a moment of transparency. Not everybody wants a relationship with God. To them... The offer of a relationship with God sounds about as fun as an offering to an eighth grader a relationship with like the assistant principal or something. (laughs) You know, I mean, they think, why would I want a relationship with the guy who lives to punish me, to look for every little thing I might be doing wrong and to scold me? And you see, they don't know the truth of who God is. And how God loves them, what He's done for them, in making a way where there was no way. And when you know the truth, that's when you want to know and have a relationship with God. Listen to me, it's truth that sets people free, and it's up to you and me to give it to them. So, John brings up this concept of fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means to share or to have in common. Now typically, guys, gals, ladies and gentlemen, people, (laughs) friends, I'll quit. 
typically what Christians mean today by the word fellowship is, you know, we get together, hang out, typically there's food involved, we talk about whatever hobby or interest we have and all, um, life in general, whatever. That's not really how the Bible would define fellowship. John said that they could have fellowship with him. Now, he was nowhere near them. And they definitely weren't going to be face-to-face talking life over anytime soon. Fellowship revolves around sharing something in common. Now, in this context, he's declaring who Christ is in truth, sharing him as the common bond, and saying that we share the things of Christ with one another. Now, of course, you cannot share the things of Christ. Maybe I should say, before you can share the things of Christ, you have to not only know about him, but you have to know him, having been saved by him. Okay. But the idea is that we share the same resources, we are bound by the same responsibilities that stem from the same essential relationship that we have with God. And naturally, supernaturally, naturally, sharing the same resources as Christ, having a relationship with Christ, sharing the very life of Christ, means that we should be becoming more like Christ. And it's here, in verse 3, that John finally makes the big reveal. He names that which was from the beginning, the word of life, that eternal life which was with the Father, yet distinct from the Father, and was manifested to us. It's His Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Now let's look at verse 4. And uh, Karen, we're going to be making our way toward a close here in a minute. Verse 4 says, And these things we write to you, that, notice, and by the way, here's a nice little um, extra credit assignment for you. Read through the book of First John, the epistle, it's only five chapters, and find out exactly why he writes it. There's a few reasons, and don't, and, and don't include these things I write to you, young men, because of this, and I write to you, you know, fathers, because of that. That's not what we're saying. But there are a few different things he says, and these things I write to you, or we write to you for this reason. Just look it up learn from it but here he says and these things we write to you this is the first one I'm giving you this one that your joy may be full now some versions or translations say that our joy may be full and so the question comes well which is it is it that your joy may be full is it that our joy may be full I say yes it applies to it applies either way I mean, when Christ is your life, when you know Him in truth, when you share who He is with others and they receive Him in truth, man, there's no greater joy. And the thing about joy is that it's different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. You understand this. I mean, there you are. You're at your cell service provider. That in and of itself doesn't make you happy. But you go and you buy the latest, greatest smartphone and Man, aren't you happy? You're thinking about all that it does. You're thinking about all the awesome selfies you're going to take and the new like portrait filter and all the things. And you're going to do all these wonderful things. And man, you're just so happy. And you walk out of the store and you drop it. 
and the screen just spider cracks in a thousand different directions and suddenly you're not happy anymore. But guys, in the fullness or in the presence of God is the fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. Now I should say that it's completely possible for our joy on this earth to be stolen. Uh, Satan came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Sin can steal our joy. Sin in our lives can steal our joy. You know, it always sin always likes to promise joy, but it only delivers sorrow. How many of you have discovered that? The joy John is talking about is based in a relationship of fellowship and love that we can share in with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. If our relationship with God, that fellowship, if our relationship with God is broken, our joy will be absent. A relationship with God, guys, I just want to, maybe this is a word for you, a relationship with God should always be eager to repent and to draw near to Him, abiding as it were in Him, meaning in His Word, in prayer, in true fellowship with other believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You share the same resources the same responsibilities in Christ, love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, let your light so shine, and God will be glorified in your life, amen? All right. Well, Father, we thank you that we can call you, Father, that we can have a relationship with you through the work of your Son, Jesus and thank you that you love us and that you made a way for us that we might be saved guys while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed John writes of this one that which was from the beginning which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled, our, our eyes have looked upon concerning the word of life. Even Jesus Christ. He says, whom we have seen with our eyes. Guys, we look to Jesus in faith for salvation. It's not found in something that we need to do. It's found in what He's already done upon the cross it's ours to turn from our sin the, the Bible word is repent to turn around to trust in him to believe on him and you'll be saved and so that's the point that we've come to that's the place that we're at that if you don't know Jesus Christ it doesn't matter how old you are how young you are where you've been or what you've done if you've not seen him, that is, you've not been saved by him, well, this, this moment's for you. 
you can look to him and trust in him right here, right now. And so if God is knocking on the door of your heart and you're ready to open it and to turn from your sin and to trust in him, I want to pray for you. If you'd say, man, that'd be awesome. That's what I want. That's what I need. I need new life. This one hasn't, hasn't worked out too well. And I need Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Well, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. And if uh, you raise your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put your hand back down. But I want to give you a second to say, man, you know what? This moment is for me. Today is the day of my salvation, and I'm not going to let it slip. Is there anyone here? Be bold about it. Don't be shy. Don't be worried about it. But if it's for you, then respond. If you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. God bless you. God bless you, man. All right, guys, listen. We're still in kind of this prayer posture, kind of just focusing our hearts on the Lord. Uh, you know, we say that to see Jesus is to be saved by Jesus. You know, I mean, it's in John chapter 3 there. He's writing, and even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that he who believes on him you know, might not perish but have everlasting life. And the idea there is that, you know, the children of Israel had sinned. God sent the fiery serpents into the camp. They were biting them. They were dying. And Moses went to the Lord and he said, I want you to fashion a serpent made of brass, brass being the metal of judgment in the Old Testament. And he says, I want you to uh, uh, fasten that serpent on that pole and hoist it up in the camp. In other words, the sin has been judged here on this pole. And uh, tell the people, whoever will look to that, they'll be saved and not die. You say, well, how does that work? I don't know. What I do know is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if I will do what God says, that, that God will do what he said he would do for me, right? And so if he says, if you look to this, you'll be saved. I'll look to this, I'll be saved. God is not a man that he should lie. Well, you fast forward to Jesus and he says you know that was just a foreshadowing of that which would be fulfilled in me because uh, I am going to be lifted up on this pole this cross where the sin of mankind will be judged and if mankind will only look to me you see they'll be saved and so we say to look to Jesus is to be saved by Jesus, but for the believer, we, we want to go just a little bit further. Salvation is when we look to Him. Sanctification is when we gaze upon. In other words, we leave our gaze steadfast on Him. Does that make sense? We don't just look to Him and be saved, but we steady our eyes on Him. So we might say, in other words, this looked upon, I viewed attentively, I studied intensely, I wanted to know him precisely and exactly. One is salvation, the other is sanctification. Does that make sense? And so, believer, maybe that's maybe that's where God's calling you. Salvation is yours. My question is, how are things in the sanctification department? You're becoming more like him. Being 
transformed, as it were, from glory to greater glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm just going to let that marinate in your own heart. But if God is dealing with you, if He's speaking to you, I encourage you, respond to Him. Turn from your sin. Return your gaze upon Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Father, we just thank You for hearts that are turning to You and uh, being maybe drawn back to You, recentered on You. And we thank You for Your faithfulness. And I pray, God, that we leave here different than when we walked in. Not just having done our Christian duty. There we were. We got a Bible study. That's all fair and well. And then we leave and we go on about our lives, business as usual. But, Lord, that we let you have your way by your word and the power of your spirit in our lives. And that you use us for your glory. Give us a sensitivity to your spirit we might be led of you found well pleasing to you God that's what we long to hear well done good and faithful servant and so we submit and surrender to you fresh right here and right now be glorified in our lives in Jesus name we pray amen Family, why don't we rise to our feet? May the Lord bless you and may he be with you. And as always, may he rest his spirit in power upon you and um, may his goodness and mercy follow you. And may his spirit go before you and make your way straight. Guys, we, we joke a little bit about happiness, and, and God's not against happiness, but I would just remind you that His, His goal for you isn't your happiness, it's, it's your holiness. You'd be holy, for I am holy, is what God has said. And sometimes that involves a chipping away, you know what I mean? Um, And the chastening of the Lord isn't pleasant, but man, it yields a peaceable fruit to those who are willing to be trained by it. And so if you need any prayer for anything that maybe the Lord has, whether it had anything to do with what I've said or not, is is not important. What's important is what has God said to you. And uh, if he's speaking to you and you want to be undergirded or encouraged through prayer, that's why we assemble up here. Uh, And so we encourage you when we dismiss that you come forward and just receive an encouraging moment through uh, the power of prayer. And uh, beyond that, guys, uh, we're going to move the sanctuary chairs. Uh, Joseph's back there. Uh, He's got his hand up in the hat, not his thumb up, his hand up. There it is. This is sort of okay. This tells everybody plainly. Um, He's going to let you know if you have any questions. Listen, guys, we don't drag the big stacks because that puts big scratches on the floor. We'll roll them out. Okay, we'll stack them up and we'll roll them out. Uh, But if you have a moment, many hands make light work. If you don't, I mean, we'll probably talk about you when you leave, but uh, it's okay. (laughs) 
Guys, let's pray and I'll let you go. Father, just again, we just want to say thank you for all that you are, your great love and uh, your patience with us. And Lord, how you just are continually reminding us to come back to our first love. Lord, help us to draw near to you, to stay near to you. Uh, Lord, that we might just be well-pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. And if you haven't signed up to serve somewhere this uh, Friday night at the little Harvest Festival, please do. Hey, Shannon, can you mute this? Yeah.